Welcome to Veteran Voices, a podcast dedicated to giving a voice to those that have served in the United States Armed Forces. On this series, jointly presented by Supply Chain Now and Vets to Industry, we sit down with a wide variety of veterans and veteran advocates to gain their insights, perspective, and stories from serving. We talk with many individuals about their challenging transition from active duty to the private sector, and we discuss some of the most vital issues facing veterans today. Join us for this episode of Veteran Voices. Half a day and hello, everyone. This is Mary-Kate Saliba with you here on Veteran Voices. Thanks for joining us today as we've got a wonderful conversation teed up with a veteran and advocate and volunteer. Stay tuned for a great discussion. Just a quick programming note before we get started. This program is part of the Supply Chain Now family of programming. The show is conducted in partnership with near and dear friends of mine. Big shout out to Brian and the Vets to Industry crew. Learn more about this powerful nonprofit organization that's serving so many folks at vets2industry.org an initiative that's near and dear to my heart, the Guam Human Rights Initiative. Here you can find them on LinkedIn and at the University of Guam under the Regional Center for Public Policy. All right, I can't wait anymore. Without further ado, let's introduce our guest today. Our guest today is a founder and president of Century Institute, Inc. He's also volunteers for Stand Up for Kids, OC, Orange County, Westside, and I, without further ado, welcoming in my Army brother here, Paul Peng. Thanks, Paul, for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Kate. I'm super excited to have you on board because I feel like my last episodes, most of them have been Navy, so I'm like, I got to mix it up. You guys have Navy, Marine Corps. I was like, I got to get some Army in here. You got to go on land. Really I know. Well, I know just like a moment ago, we were talking about the Army song, but I'm going to spare everybody from singing that right now, but I really <laughs> like to pump us up right now with some motivation and uh, would like to, to see if you could share with our audience today, a sort of a motivational quote that you got. You know what? I have a lot of them. Like, you know, you have you know, Les Brown, you have Eric Thomas, you have, you know, David Goggins, you got a whole bunch of them. Right. But I mm -hmm. think, you know, when, when it comes to all time favorite quotes, I always like to go old school. I like my Benjamin Franklin quote, you know, most people, die at 25 but don't get buried until they're 75. interesting right? yeah so wow it's it's kind of interesting quote because it's kind of the same thing today i mean most people go to work right they hate so mo most people go to a job they hate right statistically speaking 83 percent of, of americans go to a job they hate that means 17 percent actually enjoy their work that's a really sad number right so 83 percent hate the jobs they they work at, but they go because it provides some form of stability. Right. We all know during COVID, everybody got laid off, including me. Yeah, well, a lot, a lot of people did most definitely, and yeah. and we're still not out of it yet. So no, just a really, I think you're the first one that I've heard say that one. So that's a thank you for sharing that motivational quote. Now, I was, I was expecting you to actually sing something, but oh, okay. <laughs> you know, but I was like, here we go, three, two, one, we can harmonize. But no, that's great. You said Franklin. I was like, wasn't he the one that wanted uh, the turkey to be our national bird? Uh, maybe, I'm not maybe? mistaken. Maybe there's some I random so. I, factoids out one. there. I always thought it was Thomas Jefferson, but I could have been wrong. 
No, I'm pretty sure it was Benjamin Franklin. Okay. But yeah, that's, I'm, I'm about to take us way back. Our listeners <laughs> can't see you right now, but you're sitting in a rocking chair. We were just talking about how old we feel right now, but yeah, like to see about, we're going to take it way back. So it's like story time with Paul here. Uh, so can you let a, our listeners today know about where you grew up? Yeah, so I was born in Taiwan. I came here when I was one. So I spent my childhood in Monterey Park, California. So, you know, I you know, spent, was like from there, from like one year old to about five. And then um, I, I finished kindergarten there. And then I grew up in Cerritos from first grade all the way up until I graduated high school. You know, that's, that's pretty much where I lived. After high school, joined the military, came out, and the rest is history. Yeah. Do you have any, you have a big family, small family? I have mom. I have a mom, two brothers. My parents are divorced. They divorced mm-hmm. after my second tour with like 2008 or 2009 or something like that. So what is like your upbringing? What are some, did you end up like going out? What was your kind of your favorite thing to do as a kid? Did you play soccer, <laughs> play basketball? No. Le- legal no. things, only le- legal things here. <laughs> legal things. Yeah, that's a good thing. I'm just kidding. So it's a funny thing. I was never into sports. I went out a lot partying. So, you know, because I had a pretty rough childhood from when I was since fourth grade because my parents were always bickering. You know, mm. my, my dad was, my dad and my mom weren't having the best relationships and that kind of filtered down to me and, and my brothers. So I always kind of went out. And, you know, I was, you would have hated me as a teenager because I was the one that like snuck out of the house at like 11 o'clock at night, didn't come back to four o'clock in the morning and nobody knew. You know, I found out ways to like unlock my screen door. <laughs> go out so yeah yeah it's like a what well with that with that being said I'm just trying to imagine that you said you were how old when you you came over and you end up moving oh you were one one. yeah Yeah. not one o'clock one one yeah no not one o'clock my my mind is just thinking time (laughs) right now I don't know what we are on uh different time zones here but I I wanted to get a little bit of, I guess, lessons learned from your upbringing. I mean, like you said, you didn't have necessarily the rainbows and sunshine of, of a childhood that some may have had, but do, would, do you have any sort of lessons learned that you have from that time? Not really. No, I don't, I don't think so. Because I think what actually changed me was probably when I joined the military. Ironically, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know if I told you this before, Mary, but I joined the military to kind of piss off my parents. That How was old kinda, were you at the time? I was 17. So I, I joined, oh. I, was in the, I was in the delayed entry program. So I joined up in 2000, didn't graduate to 2001. So I was technically already in a year before I went to basic, but I joined, here's the funny part. So I joined and, and the recruiter said, your son will never get deployed because jo- he's joining the reserves. That's the only way I got my parents to sign because I was under 18. So they signed, I went, you know, I drilled for a whole year, didn't really do a whole lot because I you know, I'm just a, a civilian wearing a uniform at that point, right? A week and a month. And went to basic July 4th, 2001. I graduated November 9th, 2001. So 9-11 happened in between all that. Wow. So my little, you know, reserve quote unquote career just went out the window. Nobody told me that the military police was the most deployed reserve reserve occupation in the entire thingamabob or whatever. So, you know, I came back. Well, I came back from basic and then within like a year and a half, I got deployed in 2003 to Iraq the first time for a year, came back and got deployed to like multiple different other stateside places in between that for like two weeks here, three weeks there, a month here, a month there. Yeah, you're and talking about deployment now. What what branch were you? I was in the army. 
army is there yeah. a reason why you chose army out of all your all those other know. branches that you had to choose from <laughs> they got to me first <laughs> that's what I, I feel like everybody's stories like they ended up in the yeah. army because like the, the air force store was closed nobody was there or yeah. they were like <laughs> on, on a long lunch break and nobody was in the office dude i got so i got so mad because because I, I deployed twice right so I was, I was deployed in 2003 and i went again in 2008 but my second deployment was actually longer my first one was a year my second one was a year and a half so that second one was rough because it was a, it was a really long deployment but the funny thing is, in my first moment, I remember going into an Air Force defect. Mm -hmm. And like, I, I was kind of excited and mad at the same time, if you can kind of imagine, because you have to remember, like, if you, if you know, for those of you that are listening, if you've ever been to like a Marine Corps defect or Army defect, the food's the same, practically, right? In the morning, you have what? You have grits, eggs. If you're lucky, you got bacon and French toast, right? Maybe some like, you know, white crappy, crappy bread on the side. And if you're lucky, they got, they give you yogurt. At lunch, it's like spaghetti with like army ketchup, right? Which is like the cheap version. You didn't mention the infamous sausage gravy. There you go. That's it. Oh, yeah, that's right. We actually <laughs> didn't get that all the time. Overseas, we sometimes got it and sometimes didn't. Really depend on what day it was. But we always so got you walked it. Into the, you walked into this Air Force chow hall and, and you got very upset. Yeah. Because uh, I walked what, did they have lobster, lobster rolls or what? No, they didn't. Oh, they didn't. It was, dude, I would have I would have flipped the table if that was the case. But no, so they had, you know, they're having spaghetti that day. And I remember this because I was just so flabbergasted. They had spaghetti that day. They had a guy that was dressed in like a really nice, fancy getup with like an apron and everything. Mm -hmm. And then there was like music playing and there was like lights. There was actual lights, not like those hanging crappy lights. Like they just kind of just hooked up to a generator, but an actual light, lighting setup. They had four different types of spaghetti. They had three different types of sauces and they had a guy make it for you that you could choose what you wanted chicken sausage <laughs> the the meatball whatever right so they had three different kinds of meat you can get all three you can get not you know and they had a slushy machine and they had like a salad bar and the fruit was actually fresh now were you in uniform when you walked in or yes i was actually i oh, was in, in cutter uniform. i remember where i was i was in cutter i was in a base in cutter on my my first appointment they gave us three days of leave somewhere in there and we we showed up in cutter for three days that was our break for the whole year. So what they do tell you to turn around about facing and go back to your can yeah, of beans? I was, well, I mean, it was a defect. I was just like, dude, I joined the wrong branch. And then I talked to the, you know, and look, guys, if you guys are in the Air Force, I'm not hating, even though it might have sounds like I'm hating, but I'm not hating. OK, it's just we get danger pay. You guys get danger pay and substandard living allowance. I'm like for living in a hotel. Love you guys. But damn, I joined the wrong branch. I'm just envious. Just that's all i'm saying don't hate me i like you still remember like the different types of spaghetti and the different yeah. sauces well yeah, even the little things the little details about they had an actual light you know it's like yeah. when you say like they had running water we didn't even have that it's well, like no, it wasn't that bad we had running water in the other places too but <laughs> it was it was just like you know it was just like it was food like it was like restaurant quality food versus what we had which was you know one step above actually no i don't know what it was probably cafeteria food <laughs> so well you said you were your military police your whole your whole career yeah mm -hmm. so how, how was that for you don't you all get like a bad rap over you know being a being a cop in the military? Well, that's, that's what i was saying because your listeners <laughs> can't get mad at me specifically because i never did a day of garrison i never pulled that anybody oh. over i never issued a ticket all of my 
all of my, my, my experiences were, were in wartime. So I have experience with like managing like a, a POW camp, managing like, you know, a prison camp, but wow. for the Iraqis, right? So, you know, in my, in my second tour, I worked with a lot of police stations. So we were part of a pit team where we had to, me personally, I was in charge of, what was it? $25,000, I think it was every month. The government would give me $25,000 and they would, I was in charge of that. And then I would go out to these different police stations and I would see what they wanted. So they'd be like a, like, you know, like a new police car or new roads or whatever, right? Part of a new school, something. I'd have mm-hmm. a receipt, go back, write a report about it. And then in return, we would get information about where Al-Qaeda was. Wow. You know, so that that's what and, I did. And at this point, how how old were you at that point? Uh, my second tour, I was 24. But that was also your longest one, too, where you're out there. Like yeah, yeah, that, that, that was a brutal one. <laughs> that second tour was freaking long as hell. I know you you were posting pictures recently of you out. Oh, that was my first one in the desert, huh? That was my first one. That was 2003, and then I looked the picture of myself like, holy shit! Sorry, I can't cuss. Holy crap! I looked so like a baby. (laughs) (laughs) For all that experience, that's why you're in your rocking chair right now with all your. Oh my gosh! Paying it forward here. So yeah, speaking of paying it forward, you you must not have gone through all of that on your own i'm just thinking like who were you have any sort of mentors or people that inspired you took you under their wing young paul you mean in the in, in the military here mm-hmm. while you're still on active duty or in the military tour, things your reserves yeah yeah i mean my first tour not really uh, my second tour i had it was, it was my squad leader so it was a uh, sergeant length right i remember his name i haven't talked to him in years um but i i do somehow he always stuck with me we are, it's kind of funny on our second appointment, we were nicknamed the married couple. That was literally our nickname. You were the married couple. Yeah. Me and him were the, were the married couple. So, you know, he just to kind of, he was, he was six foot three blonde hair, blue eyes. So he looked like, you know, Thor, I guess, one big guy. He, you know, we, we all, we worked out together. He was my squad leader. We worked out together, hung out together, ate together, did everything together, but we argued like nobody's business because every single time, we would go out and we would do patrols, me, me and him, because I was the second command of the squad, me and him would always talk about, about route planning and about contingencies and so on and so forth. And we would always agree on 80% of it, but for whatever reason, 20% of the plans we never agreed on. So we would bicker about it. That's what, that's how we got the name married couple. Oh, man, I was like, you're, you're talking about his height here, but our listeners don't know what you look like. So I, immediately, I don't know why I was thinking of twins and like Arnold Schwarzenegger and like Danny DeVito. I don't think it's not that much of a no it's just it was just because <laughs> the reason the reason why I, I I kind of described what he looked like was because he got a lot of comments by how he looked by both men and women ah so just to give you an idea of what he looked like I don't know cool. why but it was just always funny how that that always kind of happened but yeah um, so, I mean yeah give him a shout out I mean who knows if they'll be tuning into this you know episode what? but uh... you, if you're listening to this dude <laughs> we need to link up again because I haven't talked to you in like decades he lives in new york well he he lived in new york i don't know where he lives now but he was a police officer in new york yeah it's like i mean especially on on deployment though you just really want to to find those folks that you can really hang on to those ones that really take you under their wing make sure that you're squared away that you know you're looking sharp and got everything that you need no he definitely kept me on it he definitely kept me on my toes but it's funny we and, you know, like I, I know we, we said we're the married couple, but we actually complimented each other in a lot of different ways. I'm, I remember I went on uh, my, my, you know, in my year and a half deployment, they gave us two weeks this time instead of three days. So I flew mm-hmm. back home to, to the States to spend time with my family and then I flew back. 
long story short, I did not want to go back, but I had to. But when I came back, he was like so happy. He's like, oh my God, you're back. Thank God. I'm like, why? What's going on? (laughs) Missed the other half. That's why I was, oh my goodness. Well, how many, how many years did you end up serving? It was nine, nine, nine years total. I was stop loss. So my eight year contract ended and um, I was still in Iraq. So they held me over against my will for another year. Well, you had a great time. Oh, I had a, well, you know what? I did because. Well, this is before like the YouTube, right too, Paul? Like you didn't get to do one of those, uh, those videos, lip sync, karaoke sort of things while you're. No. Downrange. (laughs) No, no. We, what we did do was we did do like a little, I I, I can't find the video anymore. We did like this little skit with, you know, with, uh, with the Marine Corps because they were, they were with us in Fallujah when we got deployed. They were kind of like our bodyguards. So there, there was a platoon of Marines guarding a squad of army people going around all these police stations to, to make sure that we stayed safe. But I mean, we did little skits there about cereal. It's funny because I always miss like, you know, I, I don't I don't really care too much about the bad part, the bad times about us, you know, getting into, you know, getting blown up or anything like that. I don't really care too much about that. What happened to him? I don't know. I saw him the next day, so he was fine. But it was just, it was stuff like that. But the, another thing I like, I, I remember um, is smoking kuka with the Marines every night and, and the Iraqis. So what we would do is, for whatever reason, the Marines always had a crap ton of hand sanitizer. They had crap for food. Like they had no food. Or, I mean, let me, let me, let me rephrase. They had food, but I wouldn't label it food. It's edible, right? It kept them alive. That's probably the best term I had for it. But for whatever reason, they had a crap ton of hand sanitizer, like a room full of it. So what we would do is we would take a, the Hesco Barrett, cut out like, like a little metal grate, get some rocks, put it together, and pour hand sanitizer in, in, in the pool and put the grate on top and light the hand sanitizer on fire. And that's how we lit the hookah. And we actually got a lot of intel that way on a side note, just to smoking hookah with the Iraqi police and, 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 their, and their version of SWAT. Well, it's a, you all got creative. And I only hear stories now about... Yeah the things that happened one of those like sometimes those stories don't get told so. those are always the best stories man when it's it's not it's not the combat it's not well you said eight years you're coming to the end of your contract as far as your transition goes you said you were deployed still when your contract was Correct. coming to an end right so you got home and then well what was that like well um i got Did home. they rush you out the door yeah, actually they did. So I had 30 days of leave. So, you know, I got home and then my tour ended, but then I had 30 days of leave. So I, I wanted to make sure I got paid for those 30 days. So I stayed my 30 days and then they give the ETS me and all that other stuff. And I got out. And your question was, how was my transition? Mm-hmm. Like that, that decision that you had about like, okay, I'm at eight years. Mm-hmm. This, this is it time to go. Where well, do I, mean, I start? I mean, what am I going to do? Yeah. At nine, nine years. Year, yeah. Nine was, years. Yeah, when I was done. Mm-hmm. I mean, they offered me, they offered me $35,000 tax-free, uh, tax-free enlistment, re-enlistment for three years. And then they actually recommended OCS for me. So I was going to be a second lieutenant, but I declined it because I heard through the grapevine that my name and several others were on a list that deployed Afghanistan within two years. One of the things that I noticed, yeah, one of the things I noticed about the military is that, I mean, I, again, I could be wrong. I'm just speaking from my perspective. But one of the things I noticed, at least about the army, is that what they do is if you're brand new, they don't generally deploy as much as if you're like already been deployed. You have the experience, so they just keep sending you and sending you and sending you. That's why some people have seven deployments, some have five, 
Some have three. I had two, right? Because I got out in time. I would have mm-hmm. had three. Um, but some had none the entire time. Some people never got deployed. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, that was the thing is like compar- comparatively, I mean, that that was it too. That time after 9-11, was a, there were a lot of men and women with stories like that of just those 18-month deployments, back-to-back deployments. It kills you. It does. I so, mean, it, it's a lot. It is a lot. So they, with your transition then, like you didn't even have a year or two years, like a lot of service members are days. having now. Is, you had 30 days. I had 30 days. 30 days. <clears throat> so you left the bonus on the table, decided to walk. What was that like for you, at least when you, you know, you got that DD-214 in hand? Did you have a job lined up or? Nope, nothing. Um, I had savings. I got home and... It was hard. It was actually hard because I didn't realize it, but I actually ended up becoming an alcoholic for like almost eight months after I got out. I hadn't, I didn't even know I became an alcoholic. That was the sad part, right? Most, most alcoholics don't know they become alcoholics, right? So I was probably polishing off probably about two bottles of wine in a day. I was a wine drinker. I didn't really like beer or hard liquor that much. I was more of a wine drinker, still am. But yeah, um, I, dr- I, I polished off two bottles of wine a night, every night. Like I could not sleep unless I drank. And when I drank, I had a gun under my pillow because that's what I did when I was overseas. I didn't feel safe without it. And one day I was living at Hollywood at the time and then I ended up getting a job at U-Haul for, because it was during the recession, the, the Great Recession in 2009, right? So nobody had any jobs anywhere. Got a job at U-Haul as an operations manager and I hated it. It was a horrible job, but it was, it paid the bills for the time being. And one day my room, because Oh, also in Hollywood, we had tandem parking, so we didn't have our own individual spots. We had one long spot with two cars filled. So sometimes if some person needed to get out, needed to call the other guy to move the car so that they could do their thing. So my roommate comes over to my room because uh, it was a woman at the time. She, you know, she, she needed to get out so that she needed to move my car. So I was sleeping. She wakes me up and I just, I was kind of still groggy, half buzzed and drunk from drinking alcohol. She wakes up or she wakes me up and I, and I was having a bad dream. So I thought I was being attacked. So I grabbed my pistol and I was about to attack her until I realized it was a dream and I woke up and I freaked out. Right. I thought, wow. Yeah. So I thought she was the enemy, but, and at that point I'm like, okay, I need help. Right. Because, and then at that point I need to figure out a way to to feel safe without a gun under my pillow. So I switched it out for a, a ruler. So I could grab a ruler that way. If I smack somebody with a ruler, it's not going to hurt that much, even if it was a mistake. Right. But uh, yeah, I, I, I saw several there. Yeah, that was, that was a pretty interesting time. Um, I ended up going to grad school because I figured, and then after that, that's, that was kind of like one of my, my, my coping mechanisms. Because after my first deployment, my, my coping mechanism was just to throw all my energy into school. My GPA actually shot up from like a 2.7 at, at, when I was getting my undergraduate degree to about a 3.8 when I graduated, or 3.7, I think. So I, I, you know, I, that's all I did. So what I did was I figured I'd do that again. After I had that episode, I went back to grad school, you know, got my got, got my degree, graduated, and then, yeah, worked at the port for 10 years, and here I am today. Got laid off, and here I am today. Well, you know, and that's how I ended up meeting you was through through LinkedIn, and mm-hmm. I remember you sharing that part of your story with Vets to Industry, and I was still mm-hmm. going through my transition, too, but that part about, you know, that, that the months that went by before you're like, I need help. And that that turning point there, uh, did you did you find that you had a lot of support at that time? No. To get help, no, 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 not at all. The VA was 
Well, this was, you have to understand that this was before the VA got put on blast. Right. By pretty much everyone. But even just like your, your internet work, like close friends, family, battle no buddies. No. Well, my, my, my mom didn't understand. So there was no point in talking to her. Right. My, me and my mom's relationship kind of got strained. It's, it's better now. But there was a long time where me, my mom and my dad, I just kind of stayed away from my family for a long time just because there was no point in trying to tell them how what I was going through, because none of them went to war. You know, my dad was always talking about his military, his military training. I'm like, Dad, you went to basic training and you left after six months. That, that's not the military. That's just boot camp. Right? You didn't you didn't go to war. You didn't shoot at anybody or get shot at. So don't, don't talk to me about your, your time because it, does, it doesn't even compare. Right. And then that would get me upset, right? So, no, I didn't have any support from anybody. No one. When you did decide to seek help, did you, were there any specific resources that, how about now? Well, I mean, like, I mean, as far as resources, I had to look them up, right? So nobody, right. like, came to me. Like, the Army didn't say, oh, here's a list of resources that you need. They literally just said, here's DD14 GTFO. Right. 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 <laughs> and, and I see that, like, with the, and I asked that because just, Fast forward to now, uh, just the the plethora of resources that are available. And I do think with our smartphones and internet and just like the access to things a lot with pandemic now moving a lot of folks virtually too, there's a huge virtual presence. A lot of these organizations are out there and have resources available, but there's a lot of it where we don't know about the resources or it can feel overwhelming yeah. because there's so many and you don't know which one is really the right fit for you. And you can get a bad taste in your mouth. If there's one that you make yourself vulnerable, you go and it doesn't work out. But that's where I've talked to somebody's where, you know, take that step back and then sort of reroute, redirect, re rethink the whole situation and just give it another shot, you know, try to talk to another organization Try not to shut down just because one organization wasn't the right fit. But that's why I actually am all about there being so many different organizations available that offer resources because the the way they address different things and even the support group, sometimes the group therapy isn't for everybody. Some times people want one-on-one, so but there's options available. Right. But I wanted to see with the with your transition, I know you gave us a little bit of a blurb before, um, you know, when I initially met you in talking to Vets to Industry, uh, who's one of our, our amazing partners. But if you were to address a room full of transitioning service members now, what sort of advice would you give them, especially those who have been to war like you have? I would say get with your county work sources as soon as possible. Right. Every county has a work source. The problem is the county that the the government in general does a really piss poor job at outreach, period. I don't think there is any listener that's listening right now that will disagree with me on that one, right? Getting the government to fix a problem is like asking a painter to build a bridge. I'm sorry, that's the truth. Getting the government to fix anything is like asking a painter to build a bridge. So in the side of the government, would you say more so leaning towards these no, I mean, the programs are established. Organizations. Yeah, I mean, the programs are established, but they do a really piss poor job at outreach. And they've been told that, but no effort has ever been done to do that. So it's up to us to do it. My second thing I would say to veterans would be <clears throat> as sad as it is, and it took me a long time to realize this nobody gives two fill in the blanks about your military career. Nobody does. They might say thank you for your service 
but that's just more or less. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's I'm, I'm grateful, right? It's a lot better than back in you know the Vietnam era where they didn't even do that. They ended up spitting on you and calling you baby killer, right? I trust me, fully aware of that. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying that out in the real world, you are to, to most employers, you are no different than anybody else. Even though they say thank you for your service, at the end of the day, they got to look out for their own interests. So you being in the military, they don't care. They don't. But what they do care about is what traits that you obtained from the military. How can your traits help them succeed? They do care about that. So a lot of what I would say is learn how to use civilian lingo to kind of alter your experiences, right? Like, so a lot of people, let's, let's say, let, let's take 11 Bravo. Let's take the standard infantry, right? When you come out, what are you going to tell the employees? I know how to kill people, right? How, how is that going to, like, how does you being a an infantry guy and breaking down doors and clearing rooms and route clearing and patrols and, and, and all that, how does that help me? We don't do any of that here, right? Well, instead of saying that, say, well, you know, you're disciplined. You, you, when you set your mind to something, you, you get it done. You're reliable. Your leadership skills. Your leadership skills, right? So they can relate to that. Right. And I think a lot of veterans, they kind of, you know, and even it doesn't even have to be Army, Air Force, Marine, whatever. It doesn't matter, right? A lot of times, and especially for like veterans that suffer from depression and PTSD afterwards, it's really hard because they look at this gigantic mountain that they have to that they have to face but their mindset keeps them locked down because of the symptoms of post-traumatic stress you know a tb a traumatic brain injury or or mst military sexual trauma right so wh whatever you, you you kind of experience it always affects your mindset and i will tell them look get a good support network if you don't have any find a way and i would say that it i think in some cases some organizations, there is a cultural shift that I'm seeing. And as far as caring about the service and understanding it, taking the time to learn about it more. I mean, I've had, I have colleagues who've never served, but they ask me, you know, they, they ask me about it and granted they may not understand fully like what we've been through, but there's like an appreciation there because they, they want to try to understand and they may not get hired, like you said, they're not going to get hired on the spot just because they came out of the military, but being able to translate those skills that they learned, those hard skills, soft skills into that. But in some cases, I am seeing a lot of companies have recruiters that are specifically military recruiters to help them, you know, and try to hire from the military pool. So I do see somewhat of a change there, but you're, you're spot on as far as tra the translation piece, because it'll only get you so far, just exactly. that service part. I mean, in, in, in so. many ways, you know, veterans, you know, for those of you that are listening, it's also, look, it's not completely like the vet, the, the employers don't care that you're a veteran, but they do care that you're a veteran in the aspect of this. You have to keep in mind that you are not a regular civilian. You are technically what's called a special category. So if companies hire veterans, they get a tax break at the end of the year. So they have an incentive to hire veterans. Yeah. So yeah, that, that's you're always going to be preferential right. to a civilian just by that alone. Right. So if you knowing that for those of you listening, knowing that if you go into a job interview, make sure you let them know that they're a, that you're a veteran, because that automatically means that if the company hires you, they get a much better tax break at the end of the year. It's a very big difference from hiring a civilian. Okay. Well, that, there's there's some advice for any of the companies that are listening in yeah. today. 
you know, it's and, like and, for any of the employers out there that may not know that, you know, start hiring some veterans. And I know it's like even for there's a big push now to, of hiring military spouses as well. So, of course, you know what? To you spouses out there, man, I you guys are. <laughs> you guys are flat out amazing. You guys don't get enough credit. You, like you guys, go, you guys right? go through all the emotional roller coaster hell. I mean, I, I look, I can only imagine what it would be like to to imagine like your spouse being overseas and you know that they're in a dangerous area and you know that they do dangerous stuff every day in and out. Like, you know, those special forces, Navy SEALs, Green Berets spouses, man. Oh my God. You guys know that your husband signed up to do the most dangerous missions out there. And you got to sit by the phone every day and hope to God it doesn't rain. How do you like, seriously, that, that is, that's his own mental torture. And for you guys to survive that, you guys deserve God, the highest praise thing possible. I don't even have a word for that. It's pretty huge shout out and thank you to all our military and veteran spouses. Um, You know, spot on Paul, as far as thanking them, absolute superheroes and just taking care of the the home front and so much more. And uh, just even being that support for when we do come back home. Absolutely. I don't want to talk about uh, shifting gears a little bit about what you're you're doing now. And you went through, talked about your upbringing, your military career transition. And now fast forward, you've been out how many years now? Oh. I was like, now we got to do how many fingers and toes? We <laughs> I got to go with that. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. <laughs> 13 years. Okay, I can count. 13 years. Okay. God, so yeah, 13, 13 years. years. <laughs> wow. So, yeah, you've been out 13 years now. So what are you doing now? I know I said it so quickly in the beginning, but to our listeners, again, mm-hmm. just, uh, you know, founder and president of Century Institute, Inc. So you're the founder. So what led you on this path to entrepreneurship? Um, or I should say entrepreneurship. I mean, ironically, it was it was my 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 ex fiance when we were you know still together at the time. You know, she was on an Uber ride, and some guy said something or another, and she was like, "I would love to get security training or firearms training." And I taught my my ex fiance how to shoot, and my ex fiance was like, "You know what? You should start your own business. You'd be good at that." So I was like, "All right, well, let's 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 take a look, right?" I mean, I, I didn't really take it too seriously at the time, but what ended what I ended up doing was. At the same, around the same time, I was trying to figure out ways, you know, learning about financial education and, and getting kind of dialed in on that, because one of the biggest things that people don't understand is how money works, right? Just because you get paid more an hour doesn't necessarily mean you can buy more with it. Case in point, look at us right now. What does $15 an hour get you? Nothing. With gas tough. at what, $5.80 a tough. gallon, $6.50 a gallon, $8 a gallon, wouldn't it? You're working to just. See, to you're you're going to date this episode now. People listen to this for like five years from now. Like I remember at that time when gas was over five dollars. But uh, yeah, yeah but... I just I, yeah, I definitely wanted to touch on on you know what what you're doing now and because I see there's a, there's a lot of entrepreneurs out there, a lot of entrepreneurs. But I I really see like yours as what you're doing is really giving. That, that sense of security, you're like giving people that confidence that they, they know how to operate a firearm, they know how to hold a firearm and that security piece. And um, even even the, the, the volunteer work you're doing. So definitely want to 
make sure that we have enough time to talk about that. But yeah, to talk about just a little bit about kind of the the work that you've been doing and uh, with the groups of people that you've been training. Yeah. So, you know, uh, we, we found a Century Institute, Inc. in 2019. Uh, we're a firearms and security certification and training company. So our motto is we save lives through training. Right. So everything we do <clears throat> revolves around the why. That's our company's why. So whether it be firearms training, uh, we're certified through the state of California for BSIS to train security officers all, all through all levels, the baton exposed firearm permit. We do concealed carry weapons training, uh, active shooter training for those of you that are a little worried about, you know, what's been happening in our society lately. Situational awareness training, OC certification, and we also do um, uh, executive protection training. So everything and anything we do revolves around saving lives through training. Our second set is we actually branched off a little bit as a DBA called Century on Set. So we started to do movie services now too. So we're, uh, we just finished our first movie of the Four Points where I was the set armor and magically just made, made it in the movie as an Asian gangster. I'm like the worst Asian gangster, by the way. I'm like, yeah. Anyways, it's a, it's a cool movie. No career in acting then, huh? No. <laughs> I have one line in the movie, but I'm in several scenes, but I have one line. So I, I can do one line. I, I can't do any of that other crap, but I can do one line. But um, I was mainly responsible for the for the weapons on set. So, you know, that's kind of taking off. We got our second movie, The Charisma Killer, shooting, started shooting in October. And uh, Rikishi is going to be in it. If you don't know who Rikishi is, he used to be in the WWE, Rock's cousin, the big Hawaiian Samoan uh -huh. dude. Yeah, he's going to be in the movie. He just got cast yesterday. Oh, wow. But that's kind of like our second thing. So we're trying to, we also offer prop weapons. So we're, we're renting them out to movie sets. So it's, you know, we're, we're trying different things. One of the things I would tell you guys for all your entrepreneurs out there, just try it, fail, keep failing. And eventually you're going to fail and, and, and be right. Are any, any, any of the skills from your time in the military that you feel like you're using for this job? Yeah, probably just straight consistency and just determination, probably discipline for sure. Because a lot of this stuff, I mean, it's, it sucks too because you know being an entrepreneur has a lot of advantages but when you fail especially when you fail big mm -hmm. it sucks because there are times when i think i told you before mary where i worked for days like today i'm working right but i'm not getting paid to do it but i have to do it right so you know it's 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 a complete mindset change and believe it or not what actually got me to start the business to kind of get me to actually do it was a book called Rich Dad, Poor Dad by uh, Robert Kiyosaki. If you guys mm -hmm. haven't checked that out, check it out. It's like 10 bucks. Everybody can afford 10 bucks. Yeah. So, yeah, I definitely know a lot of folks who've gone through that book. And just trying to circle back on what you're saying about the hard skills, soft skills, mm -hmm. as far as, because that is a leap of faith. You know, it, sometimes it, there's not like a, a book to just explain your exact path. You're navigating still. There's people can offer advice, but you're still figuring it out and going to mm -hmm. fail. But it's going to take that self-determination and pr preservation to push through and say, I can mm -hmm. do this and figure it out. Because I, I think yeah. every entrepreneur I've talked to has gone through like a lot of highs and a lot of lows as <laughs> oh, far yeah. as figuring out their, their career. But the thing is, you have like a whole, like you said, you just mentioned, you know, some folks that you get opportunity to work with and just having that team around you that, again, the veterinarians I speak to, it's not that they're doing this on their own, like they're reaching out, they're listening to podcasts, they're reading books, they're talking to other people who have done it and they're like just learning, just like a sponge, just taking it all in. And yeah. that's sort of what we're trying to do 
you know, here with veteran voices is just really getting those little anecdotes, those lessons learned throughout your whole your whole journey here, uh, just from the time that, again, your, your upbringing all the way up to, to what you're doing now. And I see that you're giving back. And I just want our listeners to get a chance today to hear more about the work that you're doing to give back, especially to these kids. And I talked a little bit, just mentioned Stand Up for Kids OC and was wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about that organization and what you're doing with them. Yeah, so Stand Up for Kids OC, they're an organization based out of Garden Grove. Um, they actually got introduced to me by the city Garden Grove. So we reached out to the city. The city and I have a partnership where we want to get security going because, you know, crime is lately has been a little interesting anyway mm -hmm. everywhere so uh, we teamed up with the city garden grove and they linked us up with standard for kids so we train the youths on security because they have no money right so the city fronts the bill for the money so i i do get paid for that part but the pay the part i don't get paid for and i'm voluntarily doing is when they graduate i want these kids to get jobs because I wouldn't be helping anybody just by going in and certifying people, giving them a certificate and patients say, okay, fine, have a nice day. I don't care. Right. That, that would be selfish, right? That would just be, it would be horrible because a lot of these kids, for example, like I, I was talking to the executive director, Justine, her name is Justine. And she was saying that one of our busiest times is right now, actually we're June 9th. The graduation was this week, right? For most of the schools. Mm -hmm. Right. So they would say that right around this time, they get super busy. I'm like, what do you mean? And they're like, we get a bunch of 18 year olds that get dropped off at our front door and the parents just take off and ditch them. I'm like, are you serious? 18 gone by that? Yeah, legally they turn 18. They have a few kids that get dropped off before they turn 18. When they graduate and they're still 17, they get dropped off and they just abandon them. They, the, the parents, I had I, one, uh, they, they told me of one story where the uh, parents dropped them off in an RV and they just took off and went to Florida or something. I don't know, but they just took off, abandoned the kid. They gave them 20 bucks. That's all he had, $18 and 20 bucks in his pocket. That's it. As soon as this organization does uh, stand up for kids, what sort of services do they offer to the child or to now the young adult? They offer them housing, food, um, to my knowledge, food, housing, clothing, and uh, workforce job training. So that's, that's the part I take care of, right? So mm -hmm. I go in and um, my services are paid for from the city, right? So that's, that's where the partnership kind of comes in. And the city gets it from a grant from the county, the county gets it from the United States, so on and so forth. But that part is I'm, I'm compensated for. But what I do is afterwards, I do follow-ups, right? I, I, don't, I don't get paid for that. I, I volunteer for that part because seeing these kids just to get certified, I mean, that's one thing, but I wanna link them up with employers. So what I do is I create partnerships with different kinds of security companies. There's no money involved with these partnerships. It's literally just, Hey, can you partner with me so that I can send people to you so that it's a direct path of getting hired? Now, you have these young adults who may not have worked a day in their life prior to you assisting them. So what is that that conversation like with employers um, as far as what these what these young adults bring to the table? A lot of it is I, I kind of put my, you know, my, my my stake or my credibility on the line because you have to think that these certification classes last about a week to three weeks long. Right. Right. So I'm meeting with them every day to train them. Right. But throughout those three weeks, it's almost like a long interview process. If I notice that you're going to be on your phone all the time, I'm going to note that mentally in my head and probably not recommend you to this company. But I also tell the user, I'm like, look, I want to help you out. But at some point you have to help yourselves because if you can't help yourselves, no amount of help is going to get you anywhere. 
Now for the volunteers, is there any sort of training involved for those who may want to look into Stand Up For Kids and volunteer themselves? What what are sort of like the different skill sets they're looking for from volunteers? Uh, for volunteers, they really just do like a lot of door to door knocking just to make sure that all you know that everyone's okay. They kind of they have like a marketing internship where they you know where uh, a person can volunteer and they can learn some you know social media marketing traits. Uh, mm-hmm. Their uh, marketing director, I think his name her name is Brittany, so she she's very very good at, at what she does. So she kind of does all the marketing side of it. But I, I try to help these kids as much as possible, like because I, I don't want to see, you know, these eighteen year olds have $20 in their pocket. And I'm like, no, look, throw them into security. I got a job that pays. And the cool thing about the security companies that I partner with is that nobody pays a minimum wage. The, like, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to partner with like, you know, big, I'm not going to name, name the companies, but certain big security companies that right. are out there. Um, most people kind of know who they are. Um, but we do partner with like, you know, smaller mid-sized companies. All of our companies that we partner with are either military or police or law enforcement owned. So that's a criteria that I have. Wow, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And just having that uh, that relationship, that building that rapport, I find that it is a lot quicker to sort of find that common ground and build that rapport with other people when you find out that they are veterans or mm-hmm. law enforcement, even first responders, just in general, uh, just knowing, again, putting mm-hmm. your life on the line and that that uh, brotherhood, sisterhood. So yeah. I really love that 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 exists, even though it's heartbreaking that that happens and that it's still ongoing issue. And these young adults are still trying to navigate their way. Uh, But I appreciate you bringing awareness to it and knowing that people can volunteer their time. And if they want to give back and that we each have some sort of skill set experience that we've overcome, that we can give back to these, these young individuals, young people. And uh, I really want to um, talk about, how folks can get involved at least specifically with stand up for kids like what was your step as far as is it a phone call do they go to an event email it's it's a phone call the next event that we're going to have is june 18th i think it's at 3 p.m i'm sure that the episode may not be out by then for that Uh but do you have is it like just on a regular they have them like every couple months or well, that's only one I know of so far, but like, you know, okay. anybody can call them a volunteer. They have chapters all over the country from what I understand. So they're a national organization, but you know, it's, it's, it's really interesting though, because out of everything that's been happening, you know, they, they, they do really, really good work. One of, you know, I'll give you an example. I think I talked about this earlier before we started recording. One of the, one of the kids, one of the first kids that, that they sent over to me, he graduated on a Friday. Mm-hmm. He started working on Saturday at $500 a day with meals and hotels paid for, for three weeks. After that stint was over up North, he got hired on at full-time security. Wow. He did that to be self-sufficient, giving them that confidence that they can do this, that, Hey, mm-hmm. I've got a support system and that support system is huge. So I love that there's that available to them, that it's not just here's some money here's a place to live for a few weeks, but y'all are really just checking in and making sure that you're following through to get these folks in the door. Exactly. I mean, like getting somebody money is, is it doesn't go so far, right? There's a common saying you, you give a man a fish, the fish lasts for a day. You teach a man how to fish. Absolutely. You know, it'll last forever. 
and teaching them that skill set. Mm-hmm. Love that. Well, I wanted, you know, just to give our listeners an opportunity to connect with you because I know we only touched a little bit on every section of, of your life. Let's say we went through the Paul timeline. I know we did. Holy rocking crap. His rocking chair right old. now. 13 years. Oh, oh, God. oh, man, Paul over here. I was like, how many years you did? Paul, I was like, oh, about God. that for a second. I'm like, he's ran out of fingers and toes to count. I know. <laughs> what are you doing? No, you're almost there. You still got enough fingers and toes. But um, yeah, I just wanted to touch base. You know, we were talking about Instagram earlier, but listen, maybe you throw out your social media handles if you want. But just how how can our community community of listeners get in touch with Paul? Well, you could, I mean, the best way right now is just because you can follow me on Instagram at Century Institute Inc. S-E-N-T-R-I Institute Inc. All one word. Or you can connect with me on LinkedIn, you know, and if you have, if again, if you have, if there's any uh, veteran op- entrepreneurs out there, I'll be more than happy to kind of, you know, give guidance for what I've learned so far. We've actually been published twice on U.S. Veterans Magazine. My volunteer, you know, I just write articles. I don't get paid for them, but, you know, there are two articles on entrepreneurship if you want to check that out. They're on uh, the fall 2021 and then the one that just came out for the summer 2022. Uh, oh, great. So, yeah, I didn't know that. Well, thank, thank you yeah. for sharing that piece. And I just really want to, you know, bringing you on today's episode, you continuing to pay it forward, sharing your skills, your experience. But the other thing, Paul, is that you've been, I appreciate your vulnerability today and just being really open about, you know, you didn't have the perfect childhood. Not that there is one, but you didn't have, not everything was hunky dory. Your deployment, your career, even just your transition. Uh, but I really appreciate your candor and and being vulnerable and sharing that because you know if for our listeners out there, if you are going through a hard time, you know please reach out to me, reach out to Paul. If you're you know having doubts, yes. if you're struggling, if you don't know what resources to go to, if you just have so many questions, you know please reach out to us. And we know so we have such a strong support network now of people that are willing to take the shirt off their back to help other people, especially veterans and their families. So don't just know you're not alone. And I know we just keep beating that dead horse, so to speak, of just keep saying that, but gosh, it's so you, you said it yourself, Paul, like nobody helped you during your transition. So we just want to know like how much it has changed now and the resources that are available. Uh, Even I want to just throw this out here too, like regardless of your discharge status as well, like I know of, of veteran mentors out there that will help. So even if you've done something that you're not proud of, or, or you're just struggling with whether it's through with alcoholism, PTS, you know, just anything like that, uh, please reach out if you need that kind of resource. Um, we'll direct you to the right folks. And on behalf of the entire team here at Veteran Voices, we invite you to find us and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from. Thank you so much, Paul, for taking the time today. Thank you for really having appreciate me. appreciate it. Yeah. And uh, again, I'm so glad that Best to Industry connected us together and big thanks to them and our partners. Uh, shout out to Brian Arrington, the Best to Industry team. And this is Mary-Kate Saliva wishing all of our listeners nothing but the best Stay motivated, do good, give forward, and be the change that's needed. And on that note, we'll see you next time. Thanks, everybody.